Um, so the reading is taken from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to him, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed, seed, on, seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Thank you so much for beautifully reading the passage. <clears throat> I think for most of us, if we've been around in church for a while, that's probably quite um, a familiar passage. So I think I was uh, quite struck when I was preparing this, how on earth do I bring this to life? Um, but then I was just thinking about it and I realized um, something totally unrelated. Um, when you watch TV or a film, um, are you the sort of person who likes to really absorb yourself in the story? Or are you the other kind of person who likes to narrate what's going on, ask questions intermittently, and make comments about the plot? Hmm. Uh, so I realized that my husband and I are one of each. Um, so my husband is in TV, he, he produces things, and um, he really loves just to be absorbed into the story. Just fully focused, no noise, no distraction, do not interrupt me, I will watch it from the very beginning through to, and I do not joke or lie, till the very last credit. 
And then there's me, who especially when there's like a mystery or there's a little bit of a teaser plot that I really uh, am trying to wrestle with and understand, I'm there going, hmm, I think he's going to die. <laughs> And I ruin so many things for him. I mean, this is something we've worked on in our marriage, and there is grace there for each other. But um, <clears throat> I do have to say it is quite an interesting uh, dilemma that we face. But both of us like to discover the story ourselves. Okay, We both enjoy that sort of uncovering of the mystery. And I'm not sure if you've thought about Mark's gospel in these sorts of terms before. Um, if I had to make up a genre for Mark's gospel, other than a, a gospel, um, I would probably call it a biographical mystery. So it's a biography because um, it's, it's about the life and the, uh, the work of Jesus Christ. And it was compiled from an eyewitness account but, uh, from the uh, Apostle Peter by this chap, Mark, he was a really good pal of the Apostle Peter's. Um, but why it's a mystery is that I think that, that Mark, what he does as he compiles all these stories uh, into one narrative is that he adds a layer of mystery. And in verse um, 11, it talks about the secret of the kingdom of God. The secret of the kingdom of God. And the Greek word, so going back to the original text, the Greek word that we've translated as secret is mysterion. So actually, it could be mystery. And I think actually, you know, the theological scholar that I am, obviously, um, that a secret is something that you uncover, but a mystery is something that we discover. Hmm. Nice, right? I enjoyed that. And I think it means that because it's a mystery, it actually requires a little more, a bit more work from us. So a secret is something you didn't know and then you find out. And then a mystery is something that you have to work a little bit harder to try and figure out. So the parable we're looking at today is part of the, a new sort of block of teaching in Mark's gospel. And it comprises of four different par parables. And parables have often been seen as um, these earthly stories, so using the everyday things of life. That's why we're talking about farmers and seeds and sowing. It's something that the audience there would really have um, understood. It was just obvious to them. It's what their daily lives were. It's what they were living. But I think it also goes beyond the, uh, just the heavenly meaning. I think it's more than just an illustration of a theological truth or a moral, um, a moral truth. But rather, I think they challenge us. They're designed to challenge us. They're designed to challenge our attitudes, the way we think, and then our actions and our wills. And Jesus uses parables, which are frankly fairly obscure in a way of teaching, to try to talk about this mystery of the kingdom. And the reason I think he does this is because at this point in Jesus' ministry, he was quite a big deal. He was causing a stir. He had to get into a boat in order to escape the crowd because there were just so many of them. He'd been doing amazing miracles. The kingdom of God was breaking in to earth now in Jesus. He'd healed the sick. He had cast out demons. And now, 
Jesus had created both friends, he had his disciples, and enemies, people who weren't really sure what on earth was, Jesus was up to, and then those in the middle who were still trying to figure it out. There was joy in both encountering Jesus and his gospel, but there was also hostility, and that is why Jesus couches some of this teaching in parables. It's because he's saying, do you remember in verse 3? He says, listen, listen, listen for the meaning that runs alongside the illustration. Listen for the mystery of the kingdom of God and ponder it and let the message of who Jesus is filter through. Listen, let him or her who has ears hear. So with all of that in mind, let's see what Jesus is saying through the parable of the sower. So believe it or not, I am not a farmer. Thanks, Libby. <laughs> I genuinely, I have no idea. Um, so I thought that I would learn quite a lot by watching this show um, from Jeremy Clarkson. I, if you have not come across Jeremy Clarkson, um, I would be quite surprised. He's a fairly worldwide phenomenon, really. But he is not a farmer. He is uh, known for his love of fast cars um, and not plants. But he actually has owned his own farm uh, called Diddley Squat since 2008. And he always paid somebody else to manage it and look after it. And then that person moved on. And so he ended up deciding to become a farmer and actually farm the land himself. Um, he, as you see from this quote that I put up there, he literally had no idea what he was doing at all. He said, Basically, what his understanding of farming is, is you'd put seeds in the ground, weather would happen, food would grow, and then I'd go on a skiing holiday. I mean, he clearly had no idea. Um, but as you watch this show, um, you see him learning about how to actually farm. And he was about to plant um, some seeds in one of his many acres on this farm. And he obviously got advice from people around him. And he had to do these tests of the soil um, every day to see if the soil was at the optimum soiliness. That's my knowledge. Um, to make sure that when he did plant the seeds, it was going to be, uh, be the best time, and so he'll get the best yield. And the advice he was given was, well sown is half grown. Caleb, his 21-year-old farmhand buddy, who is a legend, right, <laughs> um, is basically the one who was like, you have to be really mathematical about this. You've got to do your lines and plant your seeds mathematically in a very accurate way. You've got to make sure that there is enough space so that the fertilizer can be spread evenly across the crops. Um, and obviously, if you know anything about Jeremy Clarkson, he ignored pretty much everything, uh, decided that rules did not bother him, and so his lines were wiggly all over the place. And he only realized why he'd been given this advice when it came to harvest time, and he realized that his mistake had cost him thousands of pounds of profit. Now, a lot of the issues that Jeremy faced could be blamed on Jeremy as the farmer. It could also be blamed on his equipment or the weather. To be fair, he did have atrocious weather to contend with. But in this parable, there isn't actually a fault of the farmer, and there is no fault with the seed. Okay, that's just a given. But that isn't the point of the parable. What the point of the parable is, is about the soil. 
That is the star of the show. So, um, unlike Jeremy, who had to be very mathematical in his approach to sewing, the chocolate's coming out, guys, um, I take absolutely no, um, it's not my fault if I hit you, basically, just, I'm so sorry, legally, not, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but, um, so basically, in the olden days of the Bible, they didn't have a Lamborghini tractor to do these, um, these lines of seeds and make it all perfect. They had to just start scattering seed, and so, un unlike Jeremy, I'm going to just scatter some seed. Oh. Oh, thank you. That's exactly what I hoped Mark would do. Uh, so, obviously, the first step is that the seeds land on hard ground. Yay! Thank you, guys. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> um, yeah, they fall on the path. It's hard ground. And the, the seed is snatched away. Thanks, Mark. It's like you've read the Bible before. Snatched away by the birds. Secondly, the seeds fall on rocky ground. You guys can be rocky ground. So sorry if I hear you genuinely. I'm going to try really hard not to. Um, so yeah, rocky ground. Um, that it's too, the soil is too small. It's narrow. There's no roots there, okay? It just can't really grow. And so we've got the path. We've got the rocky ground. Then what do we have? Does anybody remember? The thorns. That's right. I'm going to go up rather than out. <laughs> is that better? So we've got some thorns. I'm going to go up here as well. Thorns. Thorns. Spread them out. Rocky ground. Rocky ground. I'm just, I'm scattering my seed. Um, and then obviously, what's the final one? Good ground. We've got some, guys, you've got good ground. Good luck. Um, I hope, hope everyone's okay and that nobody's been injured. Guys on the balcony, there is literally, I have no idea. <laughs> this could go horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I tried. See me at the end, there are some left. Sorry. The <laughs> so obviously, the seeds were scattered. It fell on different kinds of soil. It was erratic. They were trying to get as big a yield as possible. Um, it just in a much less sort of scientific way. But there is a progression here. Do you remember? So three of the seeds failed. The first one that fell on the path and was stolen by birds and just never had a chance, never had a chance to germinate. When it went to the rocks, it germinated, but then it died. It just didn't have enough room for the roots. And then it germinates and grows into a plant, but it doesn't produce any fruit because the thorns come and squashes it. And then finally the seed is planted in good soil. The plant grows and produces fruit. Jesus then takes the disciples to one side because they, as always, don't really know what's happening. And they ask him, what does this mean? And we start to understand that uh, the soil represents our hearts, the heart of the listener in relation to how they receive the good news of Jesus. So maybe we need to do a bit of an internal audit of ourselves at this point, a bit of you know, I don't know if you've ever done one of those BuzzFeed quizzes. Um, I love them. I spent a lot of time doing ones like, are you really a Londoner? Or there is actually one called, how Edinburgh are you? So you can look that up later. Um, enjoy. 
Um, but we should really do one called, what kind of soil are you? Um, because I think that would be far more theological. So, for some, the good news of Jesus doesn't take root, it bounces off the top. We have hard hearts. And maybe right now you might recognize in yourself that you are maybe a little bit hard in your heart to what Jesus is saying to you. It may be that you recognize it in your friends or your family, that they've heard the gospel, they've heard the good news that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he wants them to come to him, to be in relationship with him. But what Jesus tells the disciples is that the seed here that fell on this ground wasn't just stolen away by birds, but it was actually Satan that stole this, um, this away, stole the seed away. Satan is the one who actually is stealing away from people their, their potential joy of knowing Jesus. Satan is the one who is stealing their peace and their comfort and the fullness of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is something that we as Christians should mourn for each other and for our friends and for our families. We should pray that the hearts of our friends and our families will be softened so that as they receive the seed, it can grow, that it can penetrate into the soil. Because Jesus is worth it. For others, the good news um, lands on rocky ground. They accept it initially with joy. They love Jesus, and they start to grow, which is amazing. But their roots are just so wee. They're just too small. They have difficulty then when the, the weather comes, the bad things of life, the hard things of life, and they just cannot stay rooted, and they fall away. I read a summary of a research paper by... Um, Rutgers University in the US about the resilience of different types of trees um, and how likely it is that they're going to be able to cope with the extreme weather changes that will come with climate change. And the summary that I read basically said that the root system is the most important thing. Basically, can this plant find all the nutrients, all the water that it needs? in order to adapt to the extreme weather. So having deep roots really matters. So when your faith is challenged, when the hard things come, how deep are your roots? How rooted in Jesus are you? Maybe when you're studying, you might come across some different theories that challenge your faith. I studied theology, both at BA and MA level. I totally understand what that feels like. Maybe even something as simple as our monarch having passed away, something that has been so consistent in our life, and that change has thrown things into question. When the things of life happen and we have to wrestle with them, where is our faith? And the summary picture of this research paper was of this tree. And it's a shepherd's tree that's native to the Kalahari Desert. And its roots 
goes 70 meters deep. That's the only way that this tree can survive in such harsh conditions. It has to go deep to be able to find the water. So you may feel like you currently are in rocky ground, that your roots aren't deep, that you're feeling a bit precarious, a little bit vulnerable, very easily blown by the winds of life. I want to challenge us, when you feel lonely, where do you find your comfort? When someone offers you something just to take the edge off, what do you do? When somebody does die that's close to you, what does your faith tell you? What kind of soil are you? And then we've got the thorns. That's when others have accepted Jesus. They have a plant that is growing, which is awesome, but it can't produce fruit. Why? Because the thorns grow alongside it and start to take and steal all the nutrients away from this little plant. Poor plant. The thorns are, as Jesus says, three uh, very specific things. He says the thorns of worry, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. These are the things that are choking this plant and making it unfruitful. These things speak to the condition of our human hearts. And I really want to focus in here just on worry for a second, because I've had a lot of conversations recently with people who are struggling with anxiety and worry. And to be fair, I get it, I do too. This is something that I have battled with my life as well, and still do. There are so many things going on in our world on a macro level, like climate change that we've just talked about. We've had Brexit, we've had uh, Russia and Ukraine and a war. You know, we've had the Queen dying. We've had all kinds of shifts and changes which would cause us stress and anxiety. But then if you add into that your own like micro personal worries and anxiety, it's becoming overwhelming. And actually, just looking at some research that the Barna Group did, um, they did a survey, which is a Christian organization, they did a survey of 18 to 35-year-olds back in 2009, uh, sorry, not 2019, apologies. And Gen Z and the millennials, even then, so that was before COVID, found that 40% of these young people were struggling with the pressures of anxiety and worry. 40% said how important decisions were just crippled by anxiety. 40% were saying they were uncertain about their future. 40% had a fear of failing. And 40% had um, felt the pressure to be successful. That is an enormous amount of the generation coming through, your generation, um, my generation, who are really, really struggling with worry. And what has Jesus said about worry? It chokes the life out of the seed. This is a huge thing. And I, as I was reading this, I just felt like my eyes were opened. And this isn't to lay any guilt on anybody you need to look after yourself and go and see medical help. You take medicine, you do what you need to do. But I do want us to change our perspective. 
Because a lot of the time, worry and anxiety can feel like it's who you are. But this parable shows us that the seed, the kingdom of God that is living in you, is separate to anxiety. Anxiety is a thorn. Anxiety and worry is something that is squashing the life out of the plant. Worry chokes and stifles faith. It clips our wings. It stops us from growing into the fullness of the person of Christ that you have been made to be. And in Philippians 4, it says this, Do not worry about anything. But by prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is saying, don't worry, but when you do worry, come to me. When you do worry, tell me all about it. Petition me. Tell me. Why? Because I have peace that passes all of your human understanding. You cannot imagine the peace that I can give you. And what does peace do? It has a protective quality. It guards our hearts. It guards our minds in Christ Jesus. That is no small thing. So protect your little plant by going to God. The other thorns that are mentioned are the uh, the deceitfulness of wealth. And so I just want to ask you, where is wealth in your pecking order of priorities? Either your desire for it or your frustration that you don't have it. What's your relationship with money? What are you going after in your career and what is your driving force? Take note because wealth, Jesus says, is deceptive. It lies to us. It lies to us because Hollywood says there's this Hollywood dream that you will be free, you will be secure, you will be happy as soon as you have money, as soon as you have wealth. But it's a thorn that crushes the plant. And it's not because money in and of itself is a bad thing. It's how we interact with it. Is it too important to us? Does it drive us? And the other thorn is the desire for other things, other things other than the righteousness of God, other things that become more important than our relationship with Jesus. When our desire to be liked and fit in is more important than our relationship with God. When our longing for a family becomes more important than anything else. When our career becomes more important. You get the idea. When anything else defines us other than Jesus. These are the thorns that grow up alongside the plant and steal from it. It's nutrients, it, all that it needs to survive. And it means that the plant is there, but it doesn't produce fruit. And it's all about fruit. So those are the three soils, the path, the rocks, and the thorns. And in those soils, no plant can survive and thrive. It's only in good soil. It's only in the good soil 
which is full of the nutrients, full of water, full of all the minerals that this plant needs to grow. And there's space for the roots to go deep. And it's in that place that fruit can grow. And this fruit can be inward and outward. If you think about Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So it talks about us being loving, joyful, peaceful, patient and kind, gentle and self-controlled. And can you imagine if all of us actually were those things? I mean, what would the world think? What would we point them to? We'd point them to Jesus. Just by being. Sometimes we get ourselves worked up that the fruit has to be evangelism. We've got to tell people about Jesus, and we do, because that is also fruit. That is also a yield. But there's also an inward change, an inward fruit. And actually, it's easier to talk to people about Jesus when they see him in you, because you're close, because you represent him. So how do we become this good soil? Two things with subpoints. <laughs> First of all, you till the ground. You till the ground. What that means is you churn up the soil. So Jeremy and his team had to go along with his Lamborghini um, farmer tractor thing and uh, till the soil, which meant that it cleared the stones up, it gathered all of the weeds, and it just made um, the soil fresh so it wasn't hard. It meant that the seed, when it was planted, could actually sink into the soil. It could find a home there and grow. And we can do that by spending time with Jesus. It's so obvious, isn't it, when I say it? So much harder in practice, I know. But spend time with Jesus. Make a personal um, quest to get to know him better. Don't just rely on us up front. We, don't, we, we can't do it for you. We can only take you so far. But in that quiet place with Jesus, that's where the mystery of God is revealed to you. Again and again, you will go deeper with him. You will fall in love with him. And it's by having that close and intimate relationship, that is where the Holy Spirit can soften you. That is where the Holy Spirit can help you to work through some of the stuff, pull up those weeds, get rid of that stone, help you to, to grow and dig deep, um, dig root, uh, roots that go 70 meters deep into the word of God and Jesus Christ. And the second thing and final thing is feed our roots. Feed it. Jesus starts and ends this parable with an encouragement to listen. What are you listening to? What are you feeding your soul with? What, um, what are you spending your time engaging in on your phone, on the bus as you're reading stuff, on your toilet when you're reading stuff? What is it that you're filling your mind with? Who are you talking to? Who are you spending time with? Make spending time with Jesus and reading his word so important because that is where you'll be feeding your roots. And also amongst ourselves, let's be a community that encourages each other. Encourage each other. Why didn't you ask your neighbor, like, what soil are you today? I mean, people might think you're a bit weird, but, you know, you could. There's actually a little dog uh, that my sister-in-law follows on Twitter. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of this little dog, but he's very, very old. 
and um, he posts each day, whether it's a bones day or a no bones day, which basically means, is he floppy because uh, he's so old and he's ill, or is he scampering around full of energy? And it just reminded me of that. Is it a bones day or a no bones day today? How are you doing? Is it a rocky day for you, or is it a good soil day for you? Let's, as a community, keep each other accountable to be whole life disciples so that we are acting out of um, not only head knowledge but heart knowledge so that we can be our hands and can be the hands and feet of Jesus in our city and in our world. So, we all have a little seed. Let's nurture it. Take that audit. What soil are you? And let me pray for us. Colossians 2. I'm just going to pray this over us. Father God, we just thank you that you have given us the seed of the kingdom of God. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that you help us to continue to live our lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as we were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen.